Welcome to the She Wore Black podcast. I'm Agatha Andrews. Today, my guest is author Hester Fox. I've really been looking forward to this interview. Hester's gothic fiction is on my auto-buy list and her books never disappoint. Today, she'll be talking with me about gothic fiction and her upcoming novel, A Lullaby for Witches. If you want to support the podcast, visit the She Wore Black bookstore on bookshop.org. Every purchase you make through our storefront, be it the books on my lists or any books that you do in a search from there, will support the cost that goes into show production, as well as supporting independent bookstores nationwide. Thanks for joining us today. Now, on to the show. Hey, Hester, welcome to She Wore Black. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Agatha. Uh, I have to tell you, this is something I was um, a little fangirling about. I was very, very giddy about this particular interview because you are definitely one of my auto buy authors. I don't know how you do it, but every book you write taps into my gothic id. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. And we're definitely kindred spirits because I love everything gothic and that, and you're exactly who I'm writing for. It's so funny. Um, I don't know if you ever listened to Sarah McLean's podcast where she talks, she's a, a romance writer for those who don't know, um, who also has a romance podcast. And she talks about when she was first writing, like she was writing a hundred percent for her own id. And I just feel like whenever, whenever I read a Hester Fox novel, that's what I get out of it. Like, so you started with the witch of Willow Hall and I'm like, okay, witches and ghosts and scandal, like I'm in. <laughs> And then you amp it up for the next one with the widow of Pale Harbor by having Poe references incorporated into your mystery. So I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe she, she got even further in there and it with, with the Poe reference. And then there's a widow and scandal there too. And I'm like, okay, she can't, she can't possibly do more of my Ed than this. And then you hit us with the orphan of Cemetery Hill my author bio literally says I haunt Texas cemeteries. So I was like, oh, that's it. So I don't know what you're going to do for the next one, but I'm like, you're in my brain. Well, I love that you said that about writing for your own id, because those are exactly like I write the books I want to read. And I wanted something, you know, like I love um, Neil Gaiman's like the cemetery book and things like that. And I'm like, I love like an adult, like I want something set in a cemetery for adults too. So can we go before we talk about your new one? I do want to talk about these a little bit more. What's your method here? Are you doing some research or is it just things that you've collectively read over time that makes you plan your next story? Or do you have several in your pocket? And the next one that's out is just the next one that has the most stuff. What's your process, Hester? (laughs) I just like I said, I, I write what I want to read. So um, growing up and living in New England, I, I just moved to Virginia last year. So this is like kind of my first time away from like, you know, my homeland. Um, I just love New England. I love everything like the the history kind of like its own gothic culture there. So I love the gothic culture there. Um, so I just collect pretty much everything I want to read in a book. And so I think with Witch of Willow Hall, since it was my first book and it was what I queried, you know, agents with, there was very much this sense of kind of like, this is going to be like my big, this is my one shot kind of. Right. And I mean, that's not necessarily true, but that's kind of how I felt about it. So I'm like, I'm going to put everything I, you know, I love and I got into it. So, you know, I've got the wit- the history of the witches. I have um, the kind of like that forgotten industrial Gothic vibe of like um, the old mill towns. Um, 
you know, grief, um, loss, ghosts, have to have ghosts in there. My brooding, you know, Mr. Rochester slash Mr. Darcy hero. Um, and that was kind of what informed, like that was like the vibe I started with. Um, and then as for research, is my background being in um, history and art, art museums, um, historical house museums. Um, a lot of it was kind of like already like done by osmosis. Right. So right. able to incorporate my experiences into that. And of course, you know, um, supplementing with other research. Um, so they kind of come together organically like that. Um, so starting with what I want to put into the book and my own experiences and then kind of going from there. And uh, same with Widow of Pale Harbor, where it's just like, <sighs> I love Maine. Uh, we, you know, that's kind of where if you're in Massachusetts, you go to Maine for the summer. So we, um, and I love like just the main vibe. Um, and again, like I wanted a widow, I wanted a house on a hill. Um, and then I'm like, you know what? I want Edgar Allan Poe too. And thank um, you for that because that, yeah. that made me so happy. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. Um, so I think honestly, they, they might be a little bit of a nightmare sometime for my publisher to like um, market because there are so many different things going on and some of them are a little bit niche, but um, yeah, I, I just love putting all that stuff in there. I think Gothic is really seeing a sort of revival the last maybe two years or so. Um, so it pleases me that you, you've already got this, this backlist for anybody that wants to go back and read that hasn't read you yet, but you've also got a new book coming out. Um, and I love that it's in the middle of this, I think with, with Mexican Gothic coming out and a few other things, it's just been a big revival and, and even horror as a genre, which is Gothic is its own thing. Um, but even the horror genre is seeing a revival. So there is more interest in ghosts and such these days. And so it's real exciting for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think I love that um, it's even gone beyond just the book world with like, um, I forget the guy's name, but he does, you know, Midnight Mass and The Haunting of Bly Manor on Netflix. Um, yes. I think, I mean, maybe this is me projecting, but during the pandemic, I think we're all looking for kind of like comfort. And for a lot of us, that's like, we love, mm -hmm. you, know, <laughs> you know, I'm sure you're the same way. We love like Halloween and we love autumn and like, yes, you know, so we can like, you know, have that comfort. Um, the pandemic people have kind of turned to that and it's expanded beyond just you know the Halloween season so people are looking definitely for those kinds of stories. It's funny you mentioned that because with Orphan of Cemetery Hill coming out you know in the pandemic <laughs> when all that was going on it was interesting because the cemeteries were one of the few things that we could do safely as a family um, because I do lurk around I also have that um, I have an art history background and then I uh I write a lot about Texas history um, because it's not, it's not ever what people think it is. And I think people are only just starting to realize that now, but so I, some of my research is in cemeteries and it was a place where I could take my kid who, you know, especially when, when we were vaccinated and he wasn't like, he could run free <laughs> and he would even ask like, can we go over there and we go hiking and, and stuff all the time. But cemeteries were one of those places where we could go and be safe, which is how your character in that book sort of felt like that's mm -hmm. where she was safe. Um, and so I just, that spoke to me in a weird way during the pandemic. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't, I don't love the pandemic. I don't love that at all, out, but um, I do love that connection. And that's absolutely kind of the same for me where um, before we moved, I would take my son in the stroller and just push him around in the cemetery. You know, we just 
visit the ducks in the pond and stuff and the same gravestones every time and it's just um such a sanctuary and and even before that living in boston um with like the historic freedom trail it's the trail that goes around downtown boston you hit like you know Paul Revere's house and all this stuff um there's many cemeteries on it and sometimes those are like the only kind of free things in the city that you know they're yes, accessible true. to everybody um so definitely a cemetery is a sanctuary like I love that thought it's going back to you and and being influenced by the graveyard book I don't know if you ever heard Neil Gaiman talk about like what his inspiration was for that aside from the jungle book but he used to live across uh, the street from a cemetery when his child, his first child was like a toddler on a tricycle. And so they used to go to the cemetery with his little tricycle. And he just, he said, I was just such a, I was always in awe of how comfortable and at home he felt in that environment. Cause he was just toddling and about in his little bicycle or tricycle <laughs> through the cemetery and just happy as could be. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, they're just another place for kids until, you know, you kind of a stigma but you know there's something when you, you grow up and death becomes kind of something yeah. separate and exactly and, yeah well we were able to use it also as a device to teach like we did math with that <laughs> like this oh, is nice. when they died and here's when they're born let's do some subtraction like you know <laughs> weird i you know that weird ways to engage but it's okay it works for me so, <laughs> um soon what do you have next coming down the line hester well, it's, it's so funny the way publishing works because what's next for readers is already kind of in the rear view mirror for me as I'm sure. looking. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I do have a book coming out this February. It's called A Lullaby for Witches. Um, <sighs> More witches. I, I love it. Love it. Love it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I finished writing it a few months ago um, now, and you know it's been in the editors and the publishers' hands. Um, and then I'm working on book five after that. But um, A Lullaby for Witches is going to kind of be it bookends kind of my four books with um which willow hall and that's the last book i wrote living in new england so it's kind of like my goodbye love letter oh. to new england <laughs> um but it, again incorporating like all the stuff i love um with you know witches and a seaside town on the north shore of massachusetts um yeah small town goings on <laughs> Um, it's I love the different. seaside bit in Widow of Pale Harbor too, you know, it's like, yeah. I grew up on the coast, so I okay. could, I could like feel the air, you know, when I'm reading, because I know what it feels like and the little salt on your skin. And oh, I know exactly. all of that. I was yeah. like, oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I miss it so much, but yeah. Um, I'm glad you got that through. I think this too, um, you'll get some of that. Um, and it's a little different from my other books and it is a dual timeline. So there's a contemporary storyline and um, a 19th century storyline, wow. but they do, um, it, they're not completely separate. There's, I don't want to give too much away, but they do dovetail. And then at some point they kind of like weave together and collide and, you know, the two worlds come together. Um, so I think it, I think it should be interesting. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm excited about it. And the reviews you're already getting are, you know, just showered showering the book in praise so I know and again you're an auto buy so I just know I'm going to love it anyway <laughs> but what I find interesting kind of going back to what you were saying about uh, how they're a little difficult to market I mean obviously not for me because this is this is my jam but um, as a writer who also does gothic I'm curious about this element of your process like do you follow any particular kind of plot beats because you do have mystery but then it's also could be 
horror plot beats, but then you also have a touch of romance in each and every one. And thank you for that. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, so I'm just kind of curious, are you looking at any particular sort of plots, like plot beat system, or are you just winging it and doing it Hester Fox style? It's Hester Fox style. I've, I've really tried to, I have all the books, you know, um, and they're great books. I love like Save the Cat and like all these different things for, um, it, they just, from the way my brain works, I just can't adhere to them. It's like, it makes it too complicated for me. So I start with my story and I write it out. <laughs> I let my poor editor <laughs> yeah. kind of go in and figure out if, you know, we need to change things or restructure, but usually just telling the story kind of, you know, gets us there on its own. Um, yeah, I have so much respect for anybody that, you know, has a, a great system like that or has like the beats or the acts down. Um, yeah, but I, like you said, like I'm, you know, I'm telling a romance story. So I kind of, you know, I follow that. And then, um, but I think Widow of Pale Harbor was probably the hardest because there is that mystery element. Yeah. It was, and that's absolutely. like a whole nother ballgame. Like, like, oh no, I have to be the one that knows all the answers. Now. <laughs> I have to like go back and, you know, sprinkle things in and like, and work it for the reader. Um, So that was really a challenge, but definitely a learning experience with each book kind of, I get a little closer to to perfecting a process. Well, um, so one of the things that I've heard a lot from, from other writers, they always say like the best way to really learn about writing is through reading. So what are the things that informed Hester Fox? What are the books that, or the writers that you go to? Yeah. Well, like you said, Gothic really in the past two years has taken off. So writing Witch of Willow Hall, and that's not to say there weren't there are great gothic novels before that um it was but I definitely was searching for you know more books that like I was you know like comp titles or things like I was interested in um so I've always been a historic romance reader mm. um so like Julia Quinn and Lisa Klapis and nice oh yeah just like um all those great ladies um Gosh, Lisa Klapis no um, wonder you've gotten so I was like she's got because you have a good handle on incorporating the element of romance in there because I don't think most gothic has at least references to romance you know most gothic as we know it and so that's like true gothic and so I was um you know, so pleased and relieved because it doesn't always have to be there, but it, it's the element that made me feel secure as a reader, mm -hmm. you know, knowing that everything. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I yeah. want people, I mean, I know, I don't think I'd classify my books as, you know, true horror or really scary or anything, but you know, dark things happen. And I do want people to know there's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel. And thank you. <laughs> I feel such relief <laughs> reading them. Um, but like, I think any authors just can benefit so much from reading romance because the romance authors really just have down like, you know, human inner, just the interactions and like yes. the character development and getting to the heart of like, you know, what's driving a person and then two people coming together. So um, I learned so much from historical romance and that's still you know, my, my go-to comfort read. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I think, oh, yeah, I think you're right. And I think that, I mean, it, it's, and it's funny because it's a genre that's so often overlooked or dismissed, but it, you're right. It is such a rich 
place to learn about character development. I mean, even going like Julie Garwood, those historical romances mm -hmm. back in the day too. And now you've got people like Sarah McLean that we were talking about. And even the, the like Tessa Dare, who, who does like historical rom-com, <laughs> she does, she does character so well. And, and that's so important. I, I think she's maybe the only author, excuse me, that makes me laugh out loud, you know, regularly. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, Texas had a freeze that was pretty gross at the beginning of this year. Like we were all locked in because we can't handle snow, Hester. I know you're used to it, but no, we're sy we're, our horrible. system That's is not built. No. It, it, for for it and our homes are not built for it. But mostly our uh, electrical grid is is politically messed us up but um we're all locked inside we're all freezing and I had Hester Fox and Tessa Dare I don't know what that says about me <laughs> but that's how I got through oh I'm so glad I, and I had a candle you would appreciate that I felt like very Jane Austen like <laughs> because I had a candle you know when I'm reading by candlelight because that's all we had unless it was during the day it was just bananas um but yeah I had I had your gothics and I had Tessa Dare and that I knew I was going to be safe in those books oh, <laughs> that combination. That's what I want, want people to feel so I'm glad. Yeah. Well, so um going back to some authors that have affected you, do you like who would you recommend? I mean, I guess you were just talking about historical romance. Um yeah, um, so that's definitely one aspect. Like, so I would read I read those definitely for you know romance inspiration. Um, I love Sarah Waters, who does <gasps> Yes. Yeah. yeah. So she's definitely <laughs> a departure from historical romance, but yeah. um, her books are so rich and like the gothic details, just so subtle and well done. Um, so I love her books and, and they're just, they're so like decadent and indulgent. They're long <laughs> and you can just get lost in like the Victorian atmosphere. So I love her. Um, uh, there's like you said, so many gothic books have come out. Uh, Mexican Gothic, of course. Oh yeah amazing um paulette kennedy just had her book come out uh, parting the veil which that is a really exciting read guys i can't i really yeah. second that recommendation <laughs> as soon as i read it i told her i'm like this is the book i was looking for when i wrote witch of willow hall like this is it has like all the beautiful tropes and it's just like it has that victorian feel yeah but she brings but it's through such a like a wonderful like i would say modern lens but i mean she has just like um it's like a beautiful cast of characters and there's queerness and there's a diversity and it appeals to modern readers but you feel like you're reading like you know something written by an author in the 19th century so that's I the book that. on my nightstand right now so um, I mean I don't know what your nightstand read is but that's my my nightstand read right now so it's very exciting <laughs> Um, because yeah, it does fill all of those. We were talking about earlier, like, right. Like our ids, <laughs> like, yep, mm -hmm. that ticks all the boxes. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I'm finding Simone St. James is also, you know, someone who does that for me yeah. too. I'm trying to untap y'all secret <laughs> when I read your books. Well, she was definitely one of the first authors I read when I was, you know, looking for mod, you know, I don't know what to call it. Modern, like contemporary written Gothic books. Yes. Uh, I love her books. I love, um, I haven't read as many of her newer ones, her thrillers. I've read uh, a couple of them. I mean, they're still so good, but I love her, her one set in World War One 
England. And- I those were so the first one I read was Haunting of Maddie Claire, and then I went on all of those that were set in that window between mm-hmm. World War One and World War Two, and I didn't think I was going to like Sundown Motel because it is contemporary. And it is so good, Hester. And what I love about it, and this was actually going to lead up to a question for you, is that I did not expect her to be able to do all the wonderful things I loved about Maddie Claire in a contemporary setting. And she did. (laughs) So, I mean, it is isolation and ghosts and history and, um, and history with regard to having to go back and find like you did sort of with the witch of willow hall like let's uncover what's happened here that caused the problems we're experiencing right now the ghosts we're seeing and everything um she did all of those gothic things we love so i really felt it was more gothic but just in a contemporary setting and so i didn't know if I mean you do historical fiction so well and I don't know that I really want to see anything from you I'm I'm doing that internal blockade but I am also curious now knowing that it's possible for authors who do this great historical fiction to also do contemporary is that something you're interested in I don't know if I'd ever well I'd never say never but I don't know (laughs) if I'd ever do something strictly contemporary or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I am, I'm really curious to read Sundown Motel now that I've it's been on my list, but now that I, you've, I've heard you say that, um, I think with A Lullaby for Witches, writing the contemporary storyline mm-hmm. was really fun and freeing. It was, you know, something <laughs> where I didn't have to go back and do like little um, research, like, you know, every few sentences, like, oh, was that a word back then? Or, right, right. So, so it was um, definitely liberating in that sense but I do love that tie to history. Um, and I, I think it can be done. I don't know. I, I'd really have to think of yeah. it. It'd have to be the right story, I think, for me, but I, it's possible. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, sometimes you were talking about location can inform, I don't. I mean, I don't know, my husband's from Virginia, so he would know more about like the the nuance of like Virginia history or what it's like to to live there um and so for me I think like like Texas is just weird so we've got all kinds of weird things to pull from um the it's funny your your cemetery posts you know Texas has a problem with cemeteries like we steal bodies like we do we do all kinds of weird things um, and because it's sort of wild. This was wild country for a while and um, wild meaning everybody just sort of landed here and it's because they were escaping scandal from the East Coast and that's, that's who we are. Um, so, you know, it's just interesting how like history could still inform a contemporary story because the story I'm writing is contemporary, but it is informed like our cultural history mm-hmm. so I don't know I don't know yeah, I don't even know if this will make it into the podcast because it's such a tangent but I'm just curious <laughs> like what's Hester's take on this <laughs> no I mean I I'd love to read it I just I don't I'd have to like I said think of the right story for me to yeah. tell um but yeah I think um or do you think your readers even want that like do you um I've had a few express concern over the dual timeline oh. they heard um that and I understand that because I think sometimes it's very clear when an author writes a dual timeline story or I should say dual timeline dual time period maybe um that there's a preference for writing contemporary or historical Mm. and that kind of comes through in the chapters and I think there and as a reader you have a preference which is totally um 
totally understandable. And you kind of like, you race through the contemporary chapters to get to the historical stuff, or you kind of like, <laughs> you read the historical stuff so you can get to the contemporary right. chapters. Um, and I, I think and I hope that because I understand, as a reader, I understand that. And I wanted to make, you know, the, for me, it's, I, I, I always want to read the historical stuff. And I'll, and I'll be like, yeah. okay, I'll read the contemporary chapters and this part of the story, that's fine. But like the historical stuff that excites me. So I tried to write both um, in a way that I, as a reader would want to read them. So yeah. the, the contemporary timeline, you know, it's based very much on my experience working in the museum field. So it's a young woman that works in a museum. There you go. She's surrounded by history and she's uncovering historical mystery. So um, that makes sense. That's who we are anyway. <laughs> I'm so pregnant. I can barely breathe. Oh, <laughs> um, but so she works at a historical museum. Um, so yes, yeah, so those contemporary chapters are very much also about the past and her interacting with the past. And I give her a romance, of course. Um, uh -huh. so, I love all of this so far, Hester. <laughs> yeah. So I, I really hope that, you know, readers that are wary about having contemporary um, timeline in there will enjoy it. Yeah, that was just really my first experience with this. That's just why I'm, I was curious, I guess, because I, you know, I go to you for the historical fiction. That's the brand that I want from you. Not that I won't try, because now, especially having read the Simone St. James Contemporary, I'm like, okay, it can happen. It can be done, you know, because I, I was, I had put it off and all my friends who were also on the same jag <laughs> with her, with her books were like, oh no, it can work. So I, I guess I'm a little more open, although I do know as a reader, like going back to the whole thing with our id, like what, this is what I want. And this is what I want from you. So I wasn't sure also if that was something that was a hindrance or, or whatever too. Um, cause authors will go to you for what, for a specific, we go to Lisa Kleypas for those right, exactly. great Regency novels. You know, I know she writes contemporary too, but haven't read them. I haven't read them either. <laughs> I just haven't. So, and I'm not sure if I will. I don't know. I know Hallmark made one of them out of a movie or a movie out of one of them. But, oh, okay. Well, going back to um, like things that have informed you, what was a young Hester Fox reading? A young Hester Fox was woefully um, uninformed about genres. And um, honestly, I read a lot of stuff I probably shouldn't have read that young, um, where I was like, I, again, I loved history, especially the Victorian era. So I went to the Victorian authors and I read Thomas Hardy and my God, is he depressing and, <laughs> and you know Jane Austen and stuff and like middle school and high school, yeah. obviously. Um, I, honestly didn't know there was historical fiction was a genre I didn't know yeah. like I it's it's um, easy to not know though I mean because yeah. I think sometimes with school you kind of get shuffled through no mm -hmm. one stops you know and so when I as a librarian I tried to make the effort to really reach out and, and make sure kids understood like here's all these things that might work for you you know and yeah I, I didn't either that because <laughs> I mean you know working with kids and stuff you, you definitely internalize what you read. So I had some very unhealthy expectations about, you know, what, you know, romance was or what life was going to be like. I'm like, oh my gosh, it could either be like a fallen woman, like in Thomas Hardy or. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. So and, and Lisa Kleypas might've helped. Yeah. Probably. Um, so it was really after school, like after even college that, you know, I started 
finding these books. So I kind of came to the genre late um, and had a lot of catching up to do. But um, yeah, it was just, I mean, it was a joy in its own way where, you know, browsing the used bookstores and stuff and finding like a book with a picture of, you know, a woman in a Victorian dress on it and just, yeah. like, oh, I wouldn't like this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, in the 80s, like I didn't read V.C. Andrews. I always wanted to. Um, but, you know, I went to Catholic school. So there was this little element of what I should and shouldn't read, even though they never told us that. Like they were slipping us Judy Bloom. So I don't know why. <laughs> why I thought I wasn't supposed to read something, but, um, I also, I, I was too afraid to be scared too. Had I known how much I was going to enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> I might've picked it up earlier. So I did, I did read Stephen King, um, early. It was the laundromat we would go to had like free paperbacks mm-hmm. there. And I mean, it was just like drenched in Stephen King and I read so much. And like, now I'm just, I can't read Stephen King now, but <laughs> Gothic is the perfect middle ground, you know, because we get our ghosts, but it's not, it's like, I don't do jump scares very well or anything like that. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, give me ghosts. Give me, give me the cemeteries as you did, you know, all of those kinds of things. I love it. And so kind of going to that, you know, I know when I'm talking to people about Gothic, what I like why the appeal of gothic is there for me versus maybe something that's a jump scare. I do like horror as a genre, but again, it, there's just like anybody else. I have flavors, flavors of, of the genre that I like. And so what is it about those things that appeal to you? I think, and again, I just didn't know there was words for these things or like a language around them. Like, I always knew that I loved, like, rainy days. Like, oh, yeah. I just, like, you know, you feel safe inside and you're cozy and you're reading and, you know, that world is outside. Um, so I always loved, like, gray and the rain. And I love travel or pre-pandemic and children. Yeah. I love travel. I love, um, like, Iceland and Scotland and, you know, the UK. Um, where it's, you know, kind of miserable weather a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, I loved that. I loved, you know. Um, like Crimson Peak, the movie, like that kind of yeah. um, feeling. And then I realized, I'm like, oh, these are all tropes of something. <laughs> these are all tropes of Gothic fiction. And I think I remember like actually Googling it like early on, like Gothic fic or like Gothic tropes. And I'm like, yeah. check, check, check. I love all that. You know, like yeah. I love like the woman in danger, the one with the candle running through the house. I love, you know, a decaying estate the gray skies, the broody, mysterious, you know, love interest. Thank you for saying you like the woman running through the house. Cause I do, <laughs> I just do. <laughs> and it's, how is it that something like that is so appealing, you know, because it is <laughs> like right, the covers the- like really speaks to something in me is just like, I think it's the, again, reading this Victorian literature when I was younger, there were kind of like different like archetypes of women. And, you know, there was like the the um the bold woman who would speak up at the dinner table about women's rights or something or like uh, and she was kind of fearless and spunky and I was like I love that but that wasn't me I'm like I could never do that like I could never speak up and I'd be too scared but there's something about the woman with a candle running through the night where it's like you're scared and that's okay but yeah. you're still you're still being brave you're still you know doing the thing you're going to that's investigate true. um so it was kind of like an accessible like way to be brave for somebody that didn't necessarily feel like that 
I think, and it's probably difficult for people listening to the podcast to tell, but I don't know if you feel this way, but I've always been an extreme introvert. Um, I blame, I'm a cancer. I think it's, a, you know, I can't do anything about it. That's just the way I am. <laughs> I was also an only child. And so I spent a lot of time in my own head. Um, so, but you were talking about being brave and I think in that way. And I think that's, a, that's a good point because, um, a lot of the imaginative play, and I don't know about you that I did when I was little was about, it was sort of survival, but it was always in these kind of settings, like I, my imaginary play. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that is like kind of testing your own boundaries, maybe. Yeah, definitely. Before we go, I didn't know if there was anything else you wanted to say about your upcoming book. When's it coming out? When can readers see it? coming out February 1st or 2nd, um, first Tuesday in February. It is available on NetGalley if you're a NetGalley reader. Mm -hmm. And I think they're doing some giveaways for it on Goodreads. So if you want a chance to win a copy on there, I I will send you a copy if I can. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then looking way ahead, I have another book coming out 2023, I think. Oh, which seems crazy. Publishing and, works that way though, right? We have to yeah, plan that so, far ahead. Um, and that is going to be very different. Um, it's like I said, um, I'm not setting my books in New England anymore, at least for the time being. Oh, so yeah. this one's going to take place in England in the interwar years. <gasps> Yay. <laughs> and a library. Um, and I think it's, it's going to have like a lot of um, goth, like, like, gothic corners of the genre that I haven't explored yet so I'm really excited about that too did you just say library yep (laughs) oh my gosh Hester okay (laughs) I don't know how you're in there because that was my career (laughs) I was a librarian my whole career so I don't know I don't know how you do it (laughs) I think I think a lot of authors wish they were librarians um definitely living vicariously through that (laughs) profession Well, thanks so much for coming on the show and for your time and, you know, good luck with baby Fox coming your way. (laughs) I love chatting gothic with a fellow gothic lover. So, well, let's hope we can have you back whenever the book comes out. That'd be great. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on She Wore Black. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter if you follow the links on our website at www.sheworeblackpodcast.com. We have some great guests coming your way, including author interviews, so be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. Thanks again for joining us.